thought he might just jump in there and start preaching a sermon for a moment. So turn in your Bible to Joshua 1. Just kidding. I, mean, I was thinking as I was sitting there, what if, what if the Lord had placed Joshua 1 on my heart and, wow. No, turn in your Bible to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3, and that's where we're going to be this morning. I am so delighted to be with you this morning. Our pastor's taking a needed break today, getting a little rest, and we'll be back with us next Sunday starting a new series in Joshua, and I'm really, really excited um, about that. Let me just make a quick reminder about something. He mentioned the pictures that will be continuing for the next two weeks. Um, James Dunn, who's been uh, taking our pictures, his father passed away this week, and the memorial service is this afternoon in Thompson, Georgia. And so they are not going to be taking pictures at the end of the service this morning, so just be aware of that and plan to be here next Sunday. As Pastor Josh was saying, I, I love the good work that God is doing in our church. Aren't you excited about all the good things that he's doing? Amen. You know, I'm just thinking over here this morning, all of our, our nearly 200 students and leaders that were part of the mix this weekend, and there's no doubt in my mind that out of this group of, of young, adult, young students and adults that God did some special things in your lives. And there were decisions that were made this weekend that are going to have eternal consequences. And I'm so thankful that God's called Jace Thomas and Macy to uh, be here at Prince Avenue and lead our student ministry. And I believe that great days are ahead for the student ministry of Prince Avenue Baptist Church. And last Sunday, 37 people baptized to the glory of God. Amen. Let's celebrate that. Let's... Let's don't get over that. And, I, and I'm telling you, I've been smiling all week because of the last baptism that we did last Sunday with Sakiko Matsuguma. And I'm going to adjust this a little bit more because it's popping on me. Uh, Sakiko uh, was uh, prayed to receive Christ in the green room and then just immediately after that wanted to follow the Lord in believer's baptism and you saw the joy that that produced. And so Sunday night, we were gathered at someone's home for a college Bible study. And I saw Sakiko, and she was still smiling. And I said, Sakiko, how's this day been? And she said, this has been the best day of my life. In fact, I was communicating with um, a missionary that we've sent out of Prince Avenue to Japan. And they've already been in contact. And Sakiko asked her permission to share this with you this morning. But this is what she shared with Michael Creed in Japan. She said, I'm overjoyed at finally becoming a child of God. He's changing me from the old me who didn't truly believe to understanding his presence and his greatness. I'm looking forward to this new life in him. Amen? Isn't that great? I mean, God is doing such a good work in our church. And, and I can't help but think about all the other things that God's doing. There's been such a renewed sense of God's presence in our worship services. I mean, people hungering for the presence of God. Uh, I think of a renewed sense of a desire for community by so many of you filling out the Prince Partnership Agreement and saying, I want to be a part of Prince Avenue Baptist Church. Even many of you that have been a part of this church for many, many years, uh, recommitting yourself to being in fellowship at Prince Avenue Baptist Church. And then I couldn't help but think about how many of you are responding to the mission of God by giving 
in extraordinary ways. We set an all-time record in our global mission offering this year, and we're seeing more people going than we've ever seen before on short-term mission trips. All glory and praise goes to our God, amen? I mean, these are good, good things that God is doing in our midst. But I want you to be reminded of something this morning, that it's entirely possible to, to miss out on what God is doing. We need to be careful that we don't stand in the way or miss out on all the good work that God is doing. What I mean is this, God can be at work all around you and you can miss out on it personally. You can miss out on the fullness of what God wants to do in your life, even though he's doing great and mighty things all around you. What a tragedy would it be for God to be bringing revival to Prince Avenue Baptist Church and you miss out on it personally. That can happen. In fact, as we're going to look at the book of Jonah this morning, Jonah was a man who God used to bring about an awakening, but in many ways, Jonah missed out on it personally. So let me give you a brief review of the book of Jonah. I know that many of you read this story growing up. Maybe you've read it many times in your life, but let's be reminded that here's Jonah, this prophet, this Hebrew prophet of God. And God speaks to Jonah, and Jonah, he says to Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go and preach to this great city of Nineveh. And what does Jonah do? He takes off running. He doesn't want to have anything to do with this city of Nineveh. He had great prejudice in his heart toward them. He had animosity toward them. He knew that God being a God of mercy and a God of grace would show that mercy and grace to the people of Nineveh, and he didn't want to see that happen. He wanted God to judge them. And so Jonah didn't want to have any part of God's grace and mercy being bestowed to a people, so he takes off running, gets on a boat, headed to Tarshish, and a great violent storm breaks out. And the guys that are on the ship say, look, we, you know, we, we got a problem here. And so they ask for forgiveness, and then they toss Jonah overboard. I love that story. Yeah, they're like, okay, God, we're, you know, no, this may not be right, but we got to get rid of the problem here. And so God in his providence, though, brings a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And for three days, Jonah is in the belly of that great fish, and God gets Jonah's attention. It's a wake-up call. It's a reminder to Jonah that God loves him and that God is not finished with him. Gets Jonah's attention. And then after three days, the Bible tells us that that fish spit Jonah out on the dry land. And this time, Jonah goes to Nineveh. And he preaches to them. And they repent and they respond to God. And God brings an awakening to the city. But then Jonah goes to a dark place in his own heart. He still has bitterness there. He still has issues there, and he becomes angry toward God. And that's the story of Jonah in a nutshell. And even though Jonah seems to be the central character in the book of Jonah, I want to encourage you as you read the book of Jonah next time you read it to, to, to understand this, that God really is the central character in the book of Jonah. <laughs> the, the book of Jonah really isn't about the prophet as much as it is about God, that God uses flawed people that God loves everyone in the world, even his enemies. God loved the people of Nineveh. It's a reminder that God allows us to run from him and that God, even when we do run from him, pursues us to come back to him. 
God graciously forgives and restores when we fall, and that God is a God of second chances. Amen? I mean, that's what the book of Jonah really is all about. It's elevating God to a place of supremacy, of greatness, of mercy, and grace, and love. That's what the purpose of the book of Jonah is all about. In fact, I love hearing stories of how God awakens and brings revival. Uh, The story of the Haystack Awakening is one in particular that really moves my heart because the Haystack Awakening took place in 1806. There was a group of five college students from Williams College that gathered in a field on a hot summer day in New England. And they just began to get a burden that the gospel needed to get to the far places of the world, places where Jesus was not known, And so these uh, young college students begin to pray and ask God to give them a vision and a burden for the gospel to get to the nations. And a great thunderstorm came up, and out of that prayer meeting, out of that prayer meeting, God moved those young men to begin to, to start mission organizations that have impacted the far reaches of the world today. In fact, even the great movement, the house church movement that we see in China came as a result of that prayer meeting that took place at Williams College in 1806. You see, I love these kinds of stories because they're a reminder that God is still at work and God is still moving and igniting people for a purpose. I love what Jay said just a few moments ago about our students. He said that God is beginning to develop in our students a burden for their friends on their campuses. I mean, that's no less than just a work of God in their hearts. That's an indication that God is at work. In fact, when God begins to work in his people, the the overflow of that work is a burden for the world around us. Listen, God loves to reveal himself to his people and work through them to accomplish his mission of seeking and saving the lost. Let, Let me make that clear once again. God delights in working in his people so that he can work through his people to accomplish his purpose of seeking and saving the lost. Let let me make something really clear here, church. This is so important. God is not blessing us right now, as Pastor Josh was talking about in Psalm 67. God's not blessing us so that we can just sit back and enjoy all the wonderful blessings that God is doing in our midst. That's not why he's doing it. Yes, God does love us. God wants to show his favor toward us in Christ, but it's for an intended purpose. And that is that we would be a conduit of God's blessing to those around us. In other words, you have been blessed in order to be a blessing. Understand that. The purpose of God moving among his people is that they might experience his presence and his joy and a renewal in such a way that it flows out of them into the lives of other people. And so the very heart of God is that he might pour out his love on us so that he can pour out his love through us. And I want you to see how God did this through Jonah. So let's take a look at the third chapter of Jonah. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out, a, uh, in, call out to it the message that I tell you. 
So Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city saying, going a day's journey and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Then the word reached the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published it throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his, uh, in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. Let's pray. Lord, I pray this morning that you would take your divinely inspired word, Lord, and help us to understand it clearly and to apply it specifically to our lives today. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We see in this text that Jonah needed an encounter and had an encounter with God. We also see in this text that Nineveh needed God and God revealed himself to the people of Nineveh. And just as Nineveh needed God and Jonah needed God, listen, we need God today. What can we learn from this text that will help us experience God's activity in us and indeed through us? I wanna give you three essential steps to encountering a fresh encounter with God today. I hope it is your desire in this place to have a fresh encounter encounter with God. And there are three things from this text that we see this morning that I think are essential for you and I in order to have that fresh encounter with God. Number one, we must respond to God's voice. We must respond to God's voice. Look at verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. You see, one of the defining marks of a person who knows God and experience God, experiences God is a person that hears the voice of God. That is a fact. In fact, this is the way Jesus said it in John 10, 27. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Now, I know a lot of times we'll hear people say things like, you know, the Lord spoke to me or I had heard God say to me, listen, that is a very real thing. Now, it may not be an audible voice, rarely is it, but it is typically that still small voice of God's spirit who dwells in us speaking to us, but it is also the word of God as we read the word of God, as we hear the word of God preach, God actually communicates his heart to us. And listen, if you are a child of God, you are designed to hear the voice of God. If you're not hearing from God, if God is not speaking to you, then there may be a problem. In fact, I would go as far to say is if you never hear the voice of God, you've never heard God speak to you, then probably you're not a child of God because Jesus said it. My sheep hear my voice. 
So you, have you ever stopped to ask the question, though, why does God speak to us? Why does God speak to us? I think there are a couple of reasons that God speaks to us. One, I believe God speaks to us because he loves us. Jonah chapter 3, uh, verse 1, is the exact same command given in Jonah 1.1. Look at it in your Bible there. God is repeating himself. Why? Because God is a loving God. Listen, this is so important for you to understand. God loves Jonah. God loves Jonah so much that he's going to speak to him again. He's going to give him another chance. But the reason that God is speaking to Jonah also is because God loves the people of Nineveh. You see that? So God loves Jonah, but he also loves the people of Nineveh. And so God comes with a clear speaking voice to Jonah and says, I have a mission for you. And so it's simple. God loves Jonah, he loves the people of Nineveh, and he wants to reveal himself to them. In fact, think about it this way. Our words reveal our love while silence conceals it. I remember hearing this story of a uh, couple that um, been married a long time, and the wife went to her husband one day, and she said, honey, I, just, I wish that you would tell me that you love me more. And his response was this, well, honey, when I married you years ago, I told you that I loved you, and if that ever changes, I'll let you know. Not good advice, guys, okay, I might add there. Why? Because love needs to be communicated. And God, being a loving and gracious God, wants to communicate to you. Listen to me. This is so important. God wants to communicate his love to you. That's why you need to have a regular time of being in God's word. That's why you need to regularly be under the preaching and teaching of the word of God each and every Sunday. Why? Because God wants to speak to you. In fact, the fact that you're here this morning and you're listening to the scriptures and God is speaking to you is an indication that he loves you. Don't miss that. God speaks because he loves us. And so in verse one of chapter three, God in essence is saying to Jonah, I love you and I have something to say to you again. And God again is giving Jonah a second chance. Aren't you so thankful again that God is a God of second chances and third and fourth and fifth, I am. But not only does God speak to us because he loves us, God speaks to us because he has a plan for us. Look at verse two. God says to Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Underline that, those words, the message. God has a very specific purpose for Jonah to fulfill. He wants Jonah to go and proclaim audibly, verbally proclaim his message to the people of Nineveh. And just as God had a very specific message and purpose for Jonah to fulfill, God has a specific purpose and message for you and I to fulfill as well. So let me ask you this morning, have you discovered God's plan for your life? Now, I know when I ask that question, I have to be really careful. Having worked with college students for a lot of years, um, I get questions on a regular basis about what is God's will for my life? Is marrying this person God's will for my life? Is taking this job God's will for my life? And so we can get hung up on trying to figure out what God's will is rather than doing God's will. That can be a big mistake that many of us make. 
So it's not really about finding God's will for your life. It's about doing God's will. So what is the will of God? Just like Jonah, God had a will to seek and to save the lost. He wanted to bring revival to the people of Nineveh. He wanted the people of Nineveh to repent and experience his presence and his grace. Listen to me, church. You and I live in a world that is in desperate need of the message of the gospel. Do you hear me? You have people that you work with that need Jesus. You have people that you live with that need Jesus. You have people that you, that you hang out with on a regular basis, you go to school with that need Jesus. The world needs Jesus. And so what is our responsibility to that? God is saying to us, I have a message for you to share. And if we're going to experience a fresh encounter with God, we've got to respond to God's voice and step into that role of being his messengers. And listen to me when I say this. There is nothing more exciting and nothing more fulfilling than knowing that God is using you to be his messenger to others. That's what God wants to do with us. So not only must we respond to God's voice. Secondly, I want you to see this morning, we must obey God's word. Look at verse three with me. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. The NIV puts it this way, Jonah obeyed the Lord and went. In this moment, Jonah was obedient to the word of God. And as a result, get this, as a result, God allowed Jonah to be a part of a greater work that God was doing. In other words, God obeyed Jonah and it put him right in the middle of God's activity. The first time the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, he runs away from God. The second time the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, he responds and runs to God. I love what Henry Blackaby says in Experiencing God. He says, when God speaks, what we do next reveals what we truly believe about him. And that's true. You see, God speaks to us. God's speaking to many of you this morning. He's been speaking to you about a lot of different things. What you do next reveals whether or not you really believe him or not. In, in other words, obedience is our response to God's voice. It is our response to God's voice. And this is the point in which many people miss out on what God is doing. And this is my fear for us. God is working. You're hearing testimonies on a regular basis of God's activity. You may be in a D group and you're hearing testimonies of what God's doing in other people's lives and how he's using them. For testimonies like Sakiko's today. And you sense God's presence and God's activity all around you, but you're not experiencing it personally. Could it be that the reason that you're not experiencing the presence and the power of God in your life, the reason you're not experiencing God the way others around you are experiencing God is because there's some area of disobedience in your life. You see, I believe that when we are disobedient to God, it puts the brakes on God's activity in our lives. And I've seen this happen so many times where God spoke to someone and said, I want you to go and I want you to confess something to someone. I want you to get it right. And out of fear of humiliation or embarrassment, we don't do it. Or God may say, I want you to support that missionary. I want you to give to that person. And we make excuses of why we can't afford it and we disobey God. Or God says, hey, I want you to go on that mission trip. And you're like, ah, I don't know about that. I mean, that, that's outside my comfort zone. We say no to God. Or it may be that you're like many of these 37, now that Phyllis was baptized, 38, 
people baptized in the last two weeks. And God's been saying to you, you need to do it. But you've not yet been obedient. Don't let disobedience stand in the way of what God wants to do in your life. But we notice here in verses four and five that thankfully Jonah moves forward in obedience and look what God does. I love this. Jonah began to go into the city a day's journey and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. (laughs) I don't think Jonah was expecting that. Doesn't matter. But the reality is, Jonah obeyed God and God showed out. God did what only God can do. I love this. Jonah's obedience did not produce the salvation that came to Nineveh, but it did allow him to experience it firsthand. And sadly, Jonah's later pride and disobedience caused him to miss out on the continued work of God. But understand this, obedience is vital in the life of a believer. Listen, this is so important. Obedience does not make you more loved by God, but it does make you more useful to God. That's important. Obedience does not make you more loved by God. You are never more loved by God than the day that you trusted and believed upon Jesus Christ because you're covered by his grace. But your usefulness to God is largely determined by your obedience to him. Listen to the way Paul says it in 2 Timothy 2.20. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for honorable use, some dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. I don't know about you, but I wanna live a life that's useful to God. I so do. I don't want disobedience to rob me of God using me. I don't want disobedience to to rob our church from this church being the kind of church that has a global impact for the kingdom of God. But trust me when I say this, disobedience will rob you of usefulness to God. So let me just urge you, if there's some area of your life where you've been hanging on to something, you've been disobedient to something that God's been telling you to do, settle it today. Settle it today. Stop putting it off saying, God, I'm just gonna choose to obey you today. It's done. I don't care what it costs. I don't care what it requires. I'm going to obey you. Don't allow disobedience to keep you from experiencing God's activity in you and around you. So when we respond to God's voice, we must obey God's word. Finally, we must repent of our sin. Look at verse six with me. Oh, this is such a great word right here. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. These verses give us a great picture of biblical repentance. Notice in particular the response of the king to the word of the Lord. He demonstrates his humility in several ways, and I think this is, this is really important for us to grasp this morning that that if repentance is a key for us to experience God in our lives, then this is what's gonna take, okay? The first thing I see in here is that we must demonstrate repentance through our humility. The first thing the king does is come off of his throne and he takes off his robes and he sits 
in ashes. Now, think with me for a moment of the significance of this. This is the king. This is a man who is used to people serving him, admiring him, respecting him, and obeying him. And upon hearing the word of God, this man humbles himself, takes off that which he had placed his identity in, being the king, gets off of that place of authority, the throne that he had been sitting on, and he sits in ashes in utter humility and humiliation. You see, this is what repentance looks like. If you are going to experience God in your life, you must regularly repent. Understand this. Repentance is for those who are not saved that need to be saved, but repentance is also something that should be a regular part of the believer's life. Why? Because sin can so easily creep back in. You know, I love the picture of the throne here because the four spiritual laws, if you've ever gone through that track before by Campus Crusade, it talks about the fact that, that our heart is a throne, right? And either we're on the throne of our heart, of our lives, or God is on the throne. But you can't be on the throne and God be on the throne at the same time. So if God is going to be on the throne of your life, guess what has to happen? You've got to get off of it. You've got to step down. You've got to humble yourself. And that's exactly what the king does here. See, this is the real test of our repentance. Are we willing to bring ourselves low? Are we willing to lay down our reputation? Are we willing to lay down our our money? Are we willing to lay down a relationship? Are we willing to lay down anything that might stand in the way of God working in and through our lives? This king is a model of humility. He He relinquishes that which he had placed his confidence in for a position of desperation and dependence. So let me ask you, have you come to that place of humility where you've humbled yourself and said, God, I want what you want more than anything else in my life. And so if that means that I've got to confess something, if I've got to just bring myself low, stop trusting in my reputation, then I'm willing to do it. Not only that, we need to demonstrate repentance through our brokenness. It also says the second part of verse six that he covered himself in sackcloth and ashes. Whenever we see someone in sackcloth in ashes in scripture, it's a demonstration of deep remorse and sorrow. This king recognizes his sin. He recognizes his pride and arrogance, and he's broken over it. Listen, you and I will never experience the fullness of God until we experience brokenness over our sin. Let me ask you an honest question for a moment. When is the last time you wept over your sin? It's probably been a long time. Most of us confess our sins like this. God, if I've sinned against you, I just confess that, I'm sorry. And we move on to the next thing. We confess our sin in general terms most of the time. But I want you to recognize that this king recognizes his sin and his wickedness before God and he humbles himself to the point of sitting in sackcloth and ashes. He's broken over his sin. 
Listen to me, church. If you and I will ever get to the place where we see our sin the way God sees our sin, I promise you it will bring brokenness. Because it is your sin and my, my sin that put Jesus on the cross. And we need to begin to see our sin the way God does. All the little lies that we tell, all the lust that we tolerate to go on in our hearts and minds on a regular basis, the dishonesty that we practice with our families and with those with whom we work. Listen, until we come to a place where we're broken over that, we will not experience the fullness and presence of God in our lives the way he intends for us to. So I wanna call you this morning to repentance, repentance through brokenness. Ask God to begin to show you your sin the way he sees it. There's a third thing about his repentance that I think we need to see as well, and that is that he demonstrated a repentance with a burden, with a burden. Look what he does in verse seven and eight. After he himself repents, he calls the people to repentance, and he says he issued a proclamation published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and the nobles, let man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, nor feed or eat, drink, drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that it is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent. I mean, he's not only calling the people to repentance, he's calling the animals to repentance. I mean, do you get the, the, the humor here? I mean, He's like, don't even, we're, we're all fasting, you know? Don't even let the animals eat. They gotta put on sackcloth and ashes too. I mean, it just shows you this man doesn't understand much, but what he wants is he wants full repentance and he wants others to repent as well so that they can experience God too. You see, one of the marks of a personal revival in our lives is that we want others to experience God the way we've experienced him. See, if you're not burdened for those around you, if you're not burdened for the lost that you work with or the lost in your school or the lost of the world, if you're not burdened by that, listen, then you've not experienced personal revival in your life and you desperately need to. Because one of the evidences of personal revival in our lives is that we will begin to have a burden for the things that God is burdened about. And God is burdened for the lost. After I was saved, I, one of the things that was so evident in me is that, man, God gripped me, he changed my life. But one of the first things I wanted to do was tell other people about Jesus. I mean, I was telling my mom and dad about Jesus. My dad wasn't a believer, I was telling him about Jesus. I was telling my friends at school about Jesus. I mean, it got awkward at times, it really did, but it was okay, I didn't care. I was so filled with God's goodness to me and the experience that he had brought into my life through Christ that I wanted others to know. I'm so convicted sometimes that, that we never open our mouths to the lost because we're not broken, we're not burdened for them. Listen, this church will never be the church that God's called it to be until we get a heart for the lost around us. God wants us to be burdened for those that don't know him. We need to ask God to burden our heart for those that don't know him and be, then be willing to share Christ with them. This king represented biblical repentance well. Not only did he turn to God from his sin, but he challenged others to do the same. Now notice the result. We're about to close. Verse 10. 
This is so good. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Mercy and grace. That's the kind of God that we worship. That's the kind of God that we serve, a God of mercy, a God of grace. And when he saw the repentance of these people, he poured out his mercy upon them. God was gracious and forgiving and did not give them what they deserved. And you know what? This really is a picture of the gospel. I want you to see that. Like this is, a, this is such a picture of the gospel. I mean, we all stand under the judgment and wrath of God. Listen, if you are not in Christ today, you are under God's wrath. You may not feel it right now. There may not be some physical evidence of that, but trust me when I say you stand under the wrath and the judgment of God. But because God is so gracious and God is so merciful, he sent his son to live a perfect life. Actually, he sent Jesus to live the life that you and I could never live, a life that was in obedience to God's commands, a life that was in obedience to God's law. We could never fulfill that, but Jesus did in every way. And then Jesus went to the cross and he died the death that you and I deserve to die, a criminal's death. He took on himself when he died on the cross all of our sin, all of our shame. He experienced separation from God. Jesus experienced everything on the cross, listen, that you and I deserve to experience. Jesus did for us. And then Jesus was placed in a grave and raised to life to defeat hell and give us the gift of eternal life. And if we receive Jesus, if we receive what Jesus did for us on the cross, then we can experience salvation and eternal life as well. See, that's God has given to us this message of the gospel so that we don't have to stand under condemnation and judgment any longer. And I believe that when the people of Nineveh heard this proclamation of God's judgment of his wrath, God somehow, I don't think it came through Jonah, I really don't, but somehow God gave them the ability to understand that God was a merciful and gracious God and they responded and they repented and they followed God. My question for you this morning, if you don't know Christ, has there been that moment in your life where you realize that you are a sinner deserving of God's wrath? Has there been that moment that you realize that Jesus took your sin by dying on the cross? Do you, has there been that moment that you realize that Jesus was raised to life again so that you could have eternal life? And have you in faith repented of your sin and placed your faith and trust in Jesus alone for salvation? Has there been that moment? I urge you, if you're here today and you've never taken that step to say, Jesus, I wanna turn from my sin and I wanna turn to you and place my faith in you, I beg of you today, do that. Do that. Be like the king of Nineveh. Repent of your sin and come to God trusting him to forgive you and to give you a new life. He will do it. Maybe you're here this morning and you've done that. But let me ask you this. Are you walking in the fullness of what God promised to those who follow him? Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And I believe the way we have that abundant life is when we respond to God's voice, we obey God's word, and we repent of our sin.
If you've not done that, I want to urge you to do that. There may be a decision that you need to make this morning. Maybe you just need to come to the altar and say, God, there's been an area of my life that I've been holding on to, that I've been refusing to obey you in. And today, God, I want to agree with you that I'm going to settle this right now today. I'm going to obey you in this area. There may be some sin that, that you've been holding on to, and it's time today for you to lay that down and you come to get on your knees before God and say, God, I want to confess this before you and I want to repent of it. I don't want to miss out on what you're doing all around me. I want to be right in the middle of it. And so today, the invitation is for you. If you need to respond and follow Christ and give your life to him, we invite you to come. If you're a believer and you need to get some things right with God, you need to obey the Lord and repent of some sins, we invite you to come as well. But whatever the case is, let's do business with God. Join me as we pray. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you that you are a God who still speaks. And I thank you that that is an indication of your love for us. And so, Father, today I ask that you would take your word and that you would apply it to our hearts, God. Lord, I can't make anything happen inside of a heart. Just like Jonah, when he preached, could not make anything happen in the king's heart or the people of Nineveh's heart, but you can. And so, Lord Jesus, today I'm asking that you would work in the hearts and lives of the people that are in this room today. God, that we would respond to your voice that we would obey your word and that we would truly repent of our sins, God. God, you are doing such a good work in our church. And Lord, I pray that no one would miss out on it. No one. So God, if there's someone in this room today that needs to do business with you, God, help them to take that step of faith, to get it right and to settle it today. For Jesus' sake.